You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today for those that are here with us and those that are online with us. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the elders and to Thad to let me be able to preach this morning. Uh, I feel like it's an honor to be able to be in this spot. Uh, we are, by the way, I'm Alex Little, if you haven't met me yet. Uh, I'm the home group, small groups, discipleship, uh, counseling pastor, something like that. Uh, I try to also help keep Corbin in line, but that takes about four or five of us to do. So that's a difficult job there. Um, but it really is for a great honor here to be able to be here this morning. So this is uh, week six of our series of Journey to God. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at these psalms called Songs of Ascent. These songs are sung as the Jewish people traveled from their home to Jerusalem during these three main festivals. Festivals were Passover, uh, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacle. So as they traveled, as they journeyed to Jerusalem, they sung these songs. And I think in a way that prepared them for this time to celebrate, this time of remembrance. What I find really fascinating is that these three festivals all surrounded the idea of the Israelites leaving Egypt. The time of the desert, the time of wandering. Because when I think of festivals, I think of celebration, I think of like when you won something, when you conquered, when you finished something. But these three festivals really surround the idea of spending time in the journey in the wandering. Like there's something there that we really need to remember. There's something very important there. That it's the journey is where we change, it's where we grow. Uh, a teacher that I really appreciate says something to the extent of the Israelites left Egypt and spent time in the desert. The time in the desert is what got Egypt out of them. That they needed this time in the desert, in this journey, in this wandering, so that Egypt can get out of them because he spent generations and generations there. So the change happened in the desert. Not in the destination itself, but the change happened in the wandering, in the trusting of God during that time. There was a book written in the 70s called Western Theology. And I think Western is like Wild West, uh, cowboys and stuff. And so in this book that this wrote, it's kind of a satirical comedy. There's pictures, so if you like pictures, uh, it's a book with pictures. Uh, but in it, this author talks about these two different theologies, these two different mindsets. One mindset is called settler's theology. So in settler's theology, it's the idea of, think about like you settled, that you have a settlement, you have a town. And so in this town, what's seen as important is that there's structure, it's organized, it's safe and secure. So in this theology, it's all about safety and security. That's what's seen as good, that's seen as right, that's seen as what makes this the thing that you should follow. This other theology that the author does is called pioneer theology. So in pioneer theology, it's like out on the wagon trail. It's about adventure. It's about danger. It's about risk. But there's something there that's important. By the way, the author points to pioneer theology as a theology that we should all have. So in settlers' theology, the church is seen as the courthouse. It's a place where all the rules are made. It's where everything is organized. Everything is in the right place at the right time. In pioneer theology, the church is seen as a wagon trail. 
as the covered wagons. Like it's moving, it's going someplace. It's not just that one, one area. In settler theology, God is seen as a mayor. He lives on the second story of the courthouse. He has a, a, an office that's kind of dark, small windows. If you think of like a railroad ty- tycoon, that's kind of the image that's given to us. He has his mahogany desk that he sits behind. The mayor's job is to make sure everybody follows the rules, follows the regulations. He's to be feared. You don't want to cross the mayor. You don't want your taxes to be heightened. Like, you don't want to get in trouble. So as long as you don't cross the mayor, as long as you don't disobey his rules, you're okay with him. In pioneer theology, God is seen as a trail boss. The person that you have to trust, like, he must know where he's going, because we have to follow him. But he also eats, he sleeps, he laughs with all those that are traveling, with all those that are with him. So in this journey that we have, I really love like, philosophy, my undergrads in religion and philosophy, but we have some of these fundamental ideas about our life right now and what makes it good, what makes it not good. There's ideas about how we view God, like, are we okay with him? Is he okay with us? Because sometimes we have stuff that goes on in our lives, and what does that mean? Like, things are just not comfortable. And hopefully this morning as I talk, that our faith kind of steps outside of those things. That it is about adventure and about risk, and there will be problems there, and things will come up. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a God that's for us. It doesn't mean that there's a God that there is, he's not there that he's actually there and helps us in the midst of everything that we have going on. So I want to look at Psalms 124. The Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say. If the Lord had not been on our side and the people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. Next one. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the flower snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When I look at scripture kind of for the first time, there's a few things that roll through my head. One thing is to try to remember that this message was first given to real people at a real time, at a real place. And I ask also, what is God trying to reveal himself in scripture? And the other thing I ask is also, what problems do I see? Not that there's problems in scripture, but what things come up as for me to question and wonder? So for example, so talking about Pentecost when God gave the Israelites the law. So the question, like, why at that time? Like, why was it given then and not back when, like, Adam was there? Like, why at this time did God step to Moses and say, here, here's the commandments. Here's the law to follow. Because you can look at, like, the idea that they've been in Egypt for so long. They have Egypt in them. And being around all these other gods 
And so God is saying, like, I am a different God than the gods that you saw the Egyptians worship. I'm different. And he does it in a way of showing them, like, this is how you actually worship me. So, for example, let's say that you are a farmer and you have harvest coming and you worship a God of harvest. And you want to please that God in such a way that you want to make sure that he helps you have a better harvest. So the question is, how do you please that God? What type of sacrifice do you need to make to make sure that he's okay with you? That he's going to do almost like what you want him to do. And so is it like you take last year's harvest and give him a piece of that? Or the question is, how much do you give him? Because if you don't give him enough, then he's going to be angry. He'll be upset with you, and you're not going to get the harvest you want. So the que- you keep asking, like, okay, let's say maybe there's a famine going on for the last couple years. You're like, okay, I must have displeased this God in some way. So I really need to show him that I can sacrifice and make him happy again. So is it all the food you have left? Is it sacrificing your animals? Is it giving him your children and sacrificing your kids? Like you just don't know. And so we have this God. God just spoke to the Israelites and said, this is how you can please me. These are just a law. This is how you know that we're okay. You don't have to guess. I'm not making you guess anymore. I'm giving it to you that you know. Like, what a relief would, it, would that be? To know that I know how to please this God that is asking me to worship him. I know the laws to follow. So when I look at Psalm 124, what stands out to me right away is this first line, or well, the first and third line. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. God is trying to reveal his character here in this this first line. But the problem I have in my head goes, why does it say our side? Like, shouldn't it say for us being on God's side? So when we have everything right on God's side, then God is for us. God is with us. When we're on his side. But this passage is saying that God is on our side. That he moves over to us. He's for us. And so think of these pilgrims as they're going to Jerusalem. Remember, real people were placed. Like they're walking the desert. It was hot. They had animals with them. I mean, they had parents with kids running around. Think of walking days with a bunch of kids. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but they had the real problems. Think of their life. Some of them must have this lost, lost loved ones. They must have had health issues. Things at home must have not been going good. Maybe they've been attacked by different places. Like, there are real people that have real problems. And when they read this, they go, if it had not been the Lord, he was on our side. I think sometimes when you start looking towards the future and you have all these questions about what's going to happen, the worry, like, what's going to happen next in my life? I'm going through something so difficult, like I feel like I'm going to be swallowed up. I feel like this pressure of it, I cannot hold on to. And as they start to sing this psalm, it's almost like to stop. Like, stop worrying about the future. Stop worrying about what might come next. Just stop for a second. Take a moment and remember, I'm a God that is on your side. When the weight of everything, you feel like you just can't breathe anymore because it's so hard, God is saying, stop. 
stop and remember that I haven't been a God that's been with you. I have been a God that's for you. I always think about this idea of sometimes we minimize like this past sufferings in our life. Uh, I was talking to my dad the other day, and there's this story I remember when I was in second grade. I was being bullied. This kid every day at school would be stealing my hat and my ball and making recess not much fun at all. And so it got to the point, like, I'm at home crying, I'm upset, and my dad's talking to me. What I didn't realize until this last week is, during this time, he was doing union negotiations for work. He worked for a pretty big company, and things were not going well. Like, this union was threatening a strike, so his bosses weren't happy with him, everybody is stressed out, everybody's like, hey, what's, if this strike happens, what are we going to do? He has all this pressure, all this weight on him, and he has his little son that comes to him, so great, and goes, like, Dad, someone's picking on me. Like, Dad, someone's stealing my ball. And my dad's mind is like, what small little problems are there? And then God spoke to him and said, Steve, stop. Hear your son out. Because for your son, this is a big deal. This is just as big a deal as what you're going through at work. That sometimes we look at it, our past and go like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal when God showed up for that piece of it. Oh, it was just a small thing. Because what I'm going through now is so much. It's so difficult. But we have to stop and go like, no, God has been there. God has shown up. Because what we can do is we can get lost when we feel like the water is overtaking us when the flood happens. To go back to that settler's theology... Because what it does, it confronts this like, idea of security and comfort. Like when things aren't going well, it's like, okay, what am, what's wrong in my life? What is happening? Did I upset the mayor? Things aren't just going well, so God must not be with me. God must not be, be for me if I'm having problems in my life and struggles in my life. It's a change of perspective. I think of... Uh, like the idea of sometimes all you want to do is what, keep your jammies on all day, watch some Netflix, you know, just lay around and do nothing. And I would say, like, having a day like that every so often is great. But having a life like that, it isn't. You think it is. Like, if I could just do that, like, I would love, love to be able to just lay around for days and days and days and days and just do nothing and just be in comfort. But it doesn't feel like that. I know right around about, you know, after taking like a week off of work, I'm like, I just want to go back. Like, you know, before that, all I wanted to do was get away from work. Like, how, what, why, does, why does that happen? There's something like you feel like that relaxation, that comfort, there's something missing. There's just something that's not right there. Look at the story of David. So David man after God's own heart. And we look at David when he was younger, and we get to be able to look at when he was older. And so there's this story that you, you know, that's pretty popular, the idea of uh, David and Goliath. So David was going to bring food to his brothers, and he comes to the battlefield and sees the Philistines and sees Goliath taunting them. And he's like, why aren't you guys doing anything? Aren't we gods? Isn't he for us? Why aren't you doing anything? So he talks to the king, the king tries to give him a sword. The sword isn't, is too heavy. It doesn't feel comfortable. And so he makes a statement. 
to Goliath when he's facing Goliath with no seal, no shield, no sword. In 1 Samuel 17, 47, all those who've gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and all he will give all you into our hands. Now this young kid that knew that God was for him, because he remembered when he was trying to protect a sheep that he killed lions and bears. Like if God can do that, God can take care of Goliath. And he has this like trust, this understanding to step into this danger and to believe that God is for him and there with him and give God all the glory. Then we have this other story that we see later in life in 2 Samuel 24. Just to say, if you're young here, one of my thoughts in life was once I get older, everything will make sense. Everything will get easier. I will be full of wisdom. Nothing will surprise me anymore. Uh, the more I talk to people, even twice my age, that's not the case. That we have new problems, new difficulties that come up in, up in life. And so in this passage, David doesn't have it all together. So starting in verse 2. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord of your God multiply the troops to hundred times over and may the eyes of the Lord, the king see it. But why does my Lord, the king want to do such a thing? The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Verse 10, David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men. He had said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Like, what did David do wrong? He did a census of his army. He wanted to know how strong he was, how much security he had because of what he had, how many men there were that could fight. Because knowing that his idea of, okay, is this army of X amount of people come attack me? I have an army of this amount. I know that I can handle it. I know that I can win. I know that I got it. It goes back to that settler's theology that this is where I know I have my own strength to rely upon to make sure things are comfortable, things are secure, and that things are safe. That somehow between when David was younger and when he got older, he missed something. He lost something that he had when he was younger. And in verse 10, we realize that. He's guilt and stricken. Like, I have done something wrong here. I have tried to rely on what my own power is and not on what God has given me. Because he's the one that multiplies. Like his commander tried to tell him, like, hey, like God's the one that multiplies our numbers. We have won battles in the past that we should never have won, but we did it because God was with us. That God was there for us. In uh, this coming week with our home groups, um, I sent out a uh, video. This guy by the name of Brad Gray, he spoke uh, a couple years ago here on the Palouse. And he has this one teaching, and it talks about remember, remember, remember. That over and over again, Scripture, God says for the people to remember, like it is in this psalm right now. 
Remember, remember, remember. And what Brad talks about is this idea that it's not talking about living in the past and getting stuck in the past. That's not where you're supposed to stay. But it's because the idea of when you're moving forward and you're facing all these things ahead of you that are uncertain, that are unknown, that are difficult, we start trying to rely sometimes on our own self or that we try to seek security instead of, instead of that. So in this teaching, what Brad talks about is that you almost have to turn around, look at where God has moved in your life, where God has shown up, where God has shown himself, where God has shown that he's there for you, and then through that, you move forward. Because you're able to do that to trust. It's that pioneer theology, that we have a trail boss that we can follow through the midst of all these problems, all these issues that may happen in our life. Because this is something that Jesus said in John. I have told you these things, so that, me, so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the, wor- in, the, in the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering. But the courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My con- conquest is com- accomplished. My victory abiding. That Jesus reminds us that we will have tribulations that there will be issues that pop up, things that happen. And if Jesus says that, does that mean that when you're going through something, it doesn't mean that you're not right with God? Maybe there's something else there. Maybe there's a greater purpose there for us to rely on. Be able to trust the trail boss and go, even though I'm facing this, I will still move forward with you because I know that you're here with me, that you're for me, that you're on my side. In this uh, Settler's Pioneer Theology, the settler theology talks about sin in a way of when you disobey the laws of the town. That's sin. That when you don't follow the rules, when you cause some issues. But in pioneer theology, it talks about sin as leaving the journey, about leaving the wagons and stepping away from it. I know, too, like, you can look at your life and your choices you make, and we live with consequences of our decisions. There's things there that we have created ourselves. But at the same time, in it, what God is asking us to do is not to leave the journey. Maybe we cause problems in relationships with each other in disunity. It's not about leaving the people. It's about staying there in the midst of it being hard and difficult. It's about sticking with God, even though maybe you feel like you let him down. That you didn't do the right thing, that you failed him. But it's about sticking with it and with that journey. That we have a God that is for us. Jolene shared this with me this last week. And I just wanted to share it with you as we kind of move our way to communion. So I think this does well in the way that Jesus himself lives out this pioneer theology. So this is by Oswald Chamber. It says, In our Lord's life, Jerusalem was a place where he reached the climax of his Father's will upon the cross. And unless we go with Jesus there, we will have no companionship with him. Nothing ever discouraged our Lord on his way to Jerusalem. He never hurried through... Never hurried through certain villages 
where he was per, uh, persecuted, or lingered in others where he was blessed. Neither gratitude nor ingratitude turned our Lord's one hair's breadth away from his purpose to go to Jerusalem. The disciple is not above his master. The same thing will happen to us on our way to our Jerusalem. There will be works of God manifested through us. People will get blessed, and one or two will show us gratitude, and the rest will show us ingratitude. But nothing must deflect us from going up to our Jerusalem. There they crucified him. That is what happened when our Lord reached Jerusalem. And that is happening is the gateway to our salvation. The saints do not end in crucifixion, but the Lord's grace, they end in glory. In them, oh, in the meantime, our watch world is, I too go up to Jerusalem. That I too go up to Jerusalem. That we have a journey that we are on, that we're following our disciple maker, that we're following Jesus. He too suffered pain, discomfort, but that wasn't because he was wrong with God. That was because that was life there, but it didn't change his path towards moving towards the God that he knew and the God's direction of following that trail boss. So we get to take communion together and we get to have a time of remembrance. That whatever's going on in your life right now, just stop for a moment. You remember you had a God that came down to earth that understood pain, understood suffering. He cared enough about us, enough about even in despite of whatever you may have done, whatever's going on in your life right now, that he says that he loved you so much he gave his life. When he met with his disciples before he was crucified at this Passover meal, he said, this is my body given to you. Remember me. Let's remember him. Then he took a cup. Said, my blood poured out for you. Let's remember him. So let me pray. Lord, what I ask today is that we just stop for a moment and just comfort everything that's going on around us. It's 2020. <laughs> that we stop, remember that there is a God there, that in the midst of all of our suffering, all the pain, all the places where you feel like we are getting swallowed up, that remember that you are a God that's for us that you're a God that is on our side. And that's where our help does come from. Lord, maybe convict us in a way of where we, where we have followed that settler theology, where we strove in after comfort. We strove in after doing our own thing under our own strength because it feels easier. Lord, let us be a church that follows you and guides. Let us be on that adventure. Let us follow you as our prayer boss. Now we love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. 
You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.